Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. The book of 1 Samuel in chapter number 24. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 24. We're ending the first phase of the life and ministry of David. We're going all the way up until David becomes the king. And hopefully that's not a spoiler for you, but David does become the king. And... We'll take a pause and then we'll pick up the rest of the series a little bit later on just to kind of break it up into two different bite-sized pieces. But we're finding that David has been running from Saul. Saul is determined to kill David. And David has gathered together some mighty men. Some people have gathered up uh, trying to... <coughs> Uh, run from society, those that are distressed, those that were in debt, those that were discouraged, they came unto David and depending upon David. But they're on the, they're on the run. Saul is determined to kill David. Saul is determined to crush David, to wipe him out. And everyone who's with David is in danger. And we pick this up in the exciting adventure of what's occurring in the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 24. The book of 1 Samuel 24. And notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Samuel 24 and verse 1. The Bible says this. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep goats by the way, and there was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day which the Lord had said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thy enemy into thy hand. Thou mayest do to him as it seemed good to thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him, because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with his words, and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. And David also arose afterwards and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord and King. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the ground, earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord had delivered thee today into my hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but my eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see that you see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. 
For in that I have cut off the skirt of thy robe, and killed thee not. Know thou, and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judged between me and thee, and the Lord avenged me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. And as the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but my hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog. After a flea. But the Lord judge, the Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see, and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thy hand. And it came to pass, when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is that thy voice, my son, David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, wherefore I have rewarded thee evil. Thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me. Forasmuch as when the Lord had delivered me into thy hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me and that thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore unto Saul and Saul went home but David and his men got them up into the hold. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 24. The book of 1 Samuel chapter number 24, and notice with me in verse number 10. 1 Samuel 24 and verse 10, notice what David said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord. I will not put forth my hand against my Lord. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we go through this and we see David's actions in the midst of people who want to persecute him, in the midst of people who want to kill him, I'm asking that we would learn the example of Jesus Christ and that our hearts and our, our lives would be modeled after the example of what Jesus did for us. And the example he gave for us in dealing with biblical authority at all times. Lord, we love you so much. We're just asking that you would give us special wisdom as we go through here. Open up the Bible in a special way. Fill me with your spirit. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we examine this portion of scripture, the very first thing I'd like to point out to you is that David cuts the skirt of the king. David cuts the skirt of the king. Well, as we left off, the Philistines had come to invade Israel and Saul had to break off his pursuit with David to go chase after them. After he finished kind of chasing away the Philistines, Saul went and gathered 3,000 men, choice men, chosen men, men that he knew would do the job. And he said, all right, guys, 
We're going to settle this now. We're going to go get David. So they found out where David was. He was hiding in the caves of Engedi. As we described before, the caves of Engedi are a bunch of mountainous caves that oversee the Dead Sea. It is very mountainous area because of the Dead Sea and the minerals that it has there. No life grows on there, so there's no plant life. There's not much of anything. Um, just the... Um, mountains overseeing it and David and his men have been hiding there and so David and his men were hiding in the caves and Saul and his men began to uh, climb up the mountains after him now at this time Saul's about 70 years old so if you can imagine a 70 year old man trying to traverse the mountains trying to climb he would probably get a little bit tired notice if you don't mind as we kind of catch up to where I'm at in 1 Samuel 24 and verse 1 and it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him saying behold David is in the wilderness of Engedi then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to pass to the sheepcoats by the way. Now a sheepcoat would be a cave that would be extended a little bit more. So the, so the men who are watching the goats and watching the sheep up inside of the mountains, they could put all of their sheep there at night. It'd be a place where they could hide the sheep during the heat of the day. Remember, this is a desert area, so you want some shade in the hottest part of the day. And so these would be natural caves that were extended out a little bit more so that you could fit all the sheep, so you could rest. Well, <laughs> David and his men are hiding in the caves, verse number three, and he came by the sheepcoats by the way, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. Now, commentators kind of guess two different things. One of them, he's a 70-year-old man and needs rest. That takes, uh, makes sense, especially in the middle of the desert, hot day. Let's go ahead and let him take a nap so they can imagine Saul taking a nap. Other commentators have an idea that Saul said, all right, guys, I need to take a little potty break. Let me go into the cave. And, you know, either way, Saul left his men outside, went in to have some privacy, either for a nap or something else, not knowing that David and his men are in the caves. So here's the scene. Saul goes in. Let's just say that he, wants to, he goes to take a nap. So he's resting, taking a nap. David and his men are in the dark part of the cave, hiding against the walls, saying, please don't see me. Please don't see me. I mean, can you imagine King Saul is looking for David, and David's in the cave, hiding. Imagine everybody sucking in their breath. Nobody dares to breathe. And they watch Saul, seeing what he's going to do, and let's say that he lays down and he's taking a nap. One of David's men elbows him and says, hey, go get him. He's there. He doesn't see you coming. Shut up. And they kind of watch for a while. What is it going to do? Elbow him again. Come on. This is your chance. This is the bad guy. Didn't you say in a psalm earlier? Shut up. Didn't you say in a psalm earlier that David, that God was going to bring your enemy and bring him and defeat him for you? There he is. God did. Shut up. Nobody's breathing. Taking a breath. Finally, they kind of say, David, go. Let's pick it back up if you don't mind. Verse number three. And he came to the sheepcoats by the way, and there was a cave, and Saul went to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day which the Lord has said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thy enemy into thy hand, that thou mayest do to him as it seemeth good to thee. 
So they finally say, David, go do it. You're not going to have a better chance. This is the bad guy. Go get him. No one's looking. So David arose and he goes to Saul. Again, all the men are holding their breath. Nobody move. David tiptoes to Saul. Saul's snoring, making logs. Maybe kind of does like all the movies does. He kind of and kind of rolls over. David freezes. Finally comes and he looks and has the knife. Saul's there and he says, I can't do this. So he cuts part of his skirt. Remember, they have robes out there in the desert to keep them cool. And um, he cuts a little bit, a little swatch off of it. All right, let me cut this off. And he's trying to cut while Saul's still sleeping and takes it and runs away. But notice this in verse number five. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. So David becomes convicted. You know, God convicting us on small things is wonderful. You know why God convicting us small things is wonderful? So we don't cross the line and go do big things. So David cuts us off and he says, you know what? I just embarrassed Saul. I meant Saul's out here. I embarrassed the king in front of his men. I shouldn't have done that. I should, my job's not to embarrass the king. Well, he could have done worse. He could have killed the king. But God's convicting him to say, don't go any further. God's going to teach David here to let God fight David's battles for him. And so God is making it clear that David doesn't take any step. He's convicted. He says, oops, all right. And so he walks away, takes the little patch, walks away, and goes into the men. His men are like looking at him like, what are you doing? Could you imagine some of David's men watching David walk away and not kill Saul? You know, some of them are pretty frustrated. Why didn't you take care of them? They could have ended it right here. So David comes back. Everybody's been quiet, staring at him. And <laughs> verse number six, and he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Notice this. Saul's trying to kill David. And how does David refer to him? He doesn't say Saul. He doesn't call him by his first name. He says, this is my master. He's my biblical authority. Notice what else he said. The Lord's anointed. Who was it that placed Saul as king? It was God. God had placed Saul. And Saul is David's biblical authority. And David is saying, you know what? This is my biblical authority. And whether he's wrong or he's right... He is still my biblical authority. God placed him in my life. I have no, no right or responsibility to do anything harmful to my biblical authority. Whereas if David was laying there, Saul would have no problems killing David. What we see here is that there's something different about a Christian. Something different about a believer and how they respond to biblical authority even when biblical authority is wrong. Notice in verse 6 again. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David stayed, that means he convinced his servants with these words, and suffered them not to arise to Saul. You can imagine David said, I, I can't kill Saul. He's my biblical authority. And someone says, If you can't do it, I will. David says, No. Now, again, they're whispering. They're all hiding in the cave. Shut up. 
No. All trying to be quiet, not wake up Saul, not to bring alarm to the, to the soldiers that are outside the cave. No, we're not going to do it. Let's walk back. So David and his men kind of go back to the edge of the wall, try to hide. Man, if Saul was taking a nap, you can almost imagine how long that nap must have felt to David and his men. Eventually, David gets up. And notice, if you don't mind, as we continue on, not only do we see that David cuts the skirt uh, of the king, but then we see David addresses the king. David addresses the king. Notice again in verse 7. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise up against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. So how, whatever the nap was, imagine a two-hour nap. Everyone's waiting there. David trying to say, stop, shut up. Don't wake him up. Saul wakes up. No, have no clue that David and his men are there. Oh, that was a good nap. Let's go back up. And let's go hunt David. So Saul goes out. And verse 8, David arose up afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul. So Saul's walking off and saying, hey, Abner, that was a good nap. Let's go back to hunting. And then all of a sudden, David runs out from behind him and says, Saul. Can you imagine what a fright that would be for Saul to walk out and David calling behind him? And Saul rose, or David rose up afterwards and went out of the cave and cried after Saul saying, my Lord and King. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. So Saul is hunting David. Saul wants to kill David. Saul walks out of the cave. David goes off and says, my master, my king. And then as Saul turns around, David bows himself with his face on the ground, humbling himself before the king. You know what he's doing there? He's allowing Saul to kill him. He's submitting himself to Saul, to whatever Saul wants to do, trusting that God will watch over him. This is totally trusting God. He bows himself and says, you are my biblical authority. I'm going to trust that God knows what he's doing. And he bows himself down. David said to Saul in verse number 9, and David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt? David says, You've heard the rumors that David wants to hurt you? That's not true. I'm proving it. If David's bowing himself and saying, Here, do whatever you want, David's not trying to hurt Saul. Verse number 10. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord had delivered thee today into my hand, and some bade me to kill thee. But mine eyes spared thee, and I said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, my biblical authority. Why? For he's the Lord's anointed. He said, I could have killed you. People were telling me to kill you, but I will not touch my biblical authority. I'm not going to do anything to make you do bad, nothing to harm you. You're my biblical authority. You're the one that God's placed in my life. Now, again, this is a lot of faith here. This is, this is something that does not happen naturally to men. This is not how we normally respond or how we would normally think about responding. David continues on in verse number 11. Moreover, my father, see ye the skirt of my robe in thy hand. So David says, here, look at this. And Saul looks at his own thing and says, wait a second. He could see the little patch that's missing. David's holding up and says, hey man, I could have had you. Moreover, my father, see ye... 
yea, the sea, the skirt of my robe in thy hand. For in that I have cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee. But my hand shall not be upon thee. So David goes down and pleads and says, Hey, you've heard everyone saying David wants to hurt you. By the way, it wasn't everyone. It was Saul telling everyone, David wants to hurt me. And David said, Let me prove that I'm not trying to hurt you. I could have killed you, but I did not. I'm putting myself at your mercy. If you try to kill me, that's fine. But you have to deal with God. And by the way, that's the proper way of dealing with biblical authority is let God take care of them. You trust God to deal with biblical authority, and God will. David said, I'm going to trust God in this, and that's a lot of faith. to the, Putting himself at a place where Saul could kill him, and that's what Saul wants to do, but he's saying, nope, I'm taking all the excuses away before Saul and his 3,000 men. Those 3,000 men watching there knew that David was not trying to hurt Saul. Those rumors were not true. Saul had lost his bite about while he was trying to get rid of this terrorist, to get rid of this bad guy here, to get rid of this wanted man. He wants to kill me. And now David's saying, no, he doesn't. He just proved it in front of everyone. Well, Saul's now has to save face. Notice as David continues with his speech in verse 13. And saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from wicked, but my hand shall not be upon thee. After whom... Is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog. After a flea. David is saying, you know what? You've been hunting all this time for a little flea. I'm nobody. You're the big king of Israel, yet you come out personally, 70 years old, to go kill a flea. It's a little bit overkill. I've done nothing to you. I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm not even worth your attention. Verse number 15, the Lord therefore judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thy hand. David is saying, I'm trusting God to make things right. I may not be able to trust you. I'm trusting God to make things right. Can you trust God to deliver? And so we end up with this idea that David pacifies the king. So David was hiding in the cave, could have killed Saul. When Saul left, David went out, humbled himself and said, Saul, what are you going to do? I'm not trying to kill you. Here's proof. I could have, and I don't want to kill you. I'm harmless. I'm nobody. I'm a flea. Now, what are you going to do about it? So now Saul's turn to respond. 3,000 of his men looking at him. David bowing himself, humbling himself before him. Men hiding in the cave. What is Saul going to do? Notice with me as we continue on verse 16. And it came to pass that David made an end of speaking these words unto Saul. And Saul said, Is that thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. So he begins to cry, mainly because he knew he was caught. He knew he was busted. He knew that everyone knew he was the bad guy on this. And it just ruined everything. Verse number 17. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good. Thou has rewarded me good where I've rewarded the evil. You know what makes Christians different who are following the Lord? Is that when people do us wrong, we respond to them by right. You know, our normal response is if somebody kicks us, we want to kick them back. If somebody hurts us, we want to hurt them back. If somebody says something about us, we want to defend ourselves. 
We want to attack. That's the natural man. That's the normal response. But someone who's following the Lord, when someone does something wrong to us, we do good to them. It doesn't make sense. It is only by the grace of God that that's able to happen. That is not natural. And Saul's recognizing there's something different. This isn't right. I've been trying to kill this guy. And when he had his shot, he didn't do it. Saul is floored by this. And he's recognizing that what has happened. Verse number 18. And thou hast showed this day how thou hast dealt well with me. For as much when the Lord delivered me into thy hand, thou killedest me not. For if a man findest his enemy, will he let him go away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good, for thou hast done unto me this day. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thy hand. And he goes on and makes, said, David, will you make a promise when you become king? Don't kill my family. Don't wipe me out of the history books. Deal kindly with my kids and, and my relatives. Don't wipe them out. And David, of course, agrees. But the king is floored during this time. So we see this here. And we see some important keys. Because we do live in a world where sometimes we have biblical authority that's wrong. How do you deal with biblical authority that's wrong? Well, remember submission carries the idea of placing yourself under the authority of. And may I remind you, submission only happens when you disagree with authority. If you agree with authority, it's not submission, it's union. It's unity. That's what you want. Submission happens when you disagree with biblical authority. When biblical authority is wrong, that's even harder. But what is our biblical response? To submit and trust God. You may not be able to trust that authority in your life, but can you trust God? Notice David trusted God in this. Notice what he said in verse 12. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but my hand shall not be upon thee. David says, hey, I'm letting God take care of you, Saul. I'm not going to fix things myself. I'm going to let God fix things. Notice again in verse 15, the same thing is repeated. The Lord therefore be judge. Judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of thy hand. You know what we see here? How do we deal with biblical authority that's wrong? We cheat and we go to their boss. If they, biblical authority won't listen to you, go talk to God and let God deal with it while we humble ourselves and submit to biblical authority. Again, this isn't natural. This isn't what happens to us. But this is the same example that Jesus Christ gave to us. May I prove it to you? Turn with me to the New Testament now and let's see this principle. The book of 1 Peter chapter 2. Jesus Christ was our example. While he was on this earth, not only did he die for our sins, but he lived a life to give us an example of how to respond to different things. Notice with me in the book of 1 Peter chapter number 2. The book of 1 Peter chapter number 2, and we want to cover the principle and the example of what Jesus Christ did for us, and then as a practical application, how we are to respond in the same situation. Notice with me in the book of 1 Peter chapter number 2. 
1 Peter chapter number 2. If you are at the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the book of Jude, then we come to the book of 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 1 Peter. The book of 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and notice with me in verse number 17. Notice what it starts off with. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So here it's carrying the idea that we're supposed to respond to all people correctly. Verse number 18. Servants be subject to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. The word forward carries the idea of harsh cruel. Carries the idea of the people that's not right. The Bible says we are supposed to submit to biblical authority whether they're good or they're evil. We're supposed to submit to biblical authority whether they're wrong or they're right. Our job is to submit and trust God. Now again, this is hard, but this is where the rubber meets the road because we all have biblical authority. We all have someone to obey. Whether it's children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Whether it's a wife, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Whether it deals with the idea of pastors, whether it deals with the idea of government. We all have biblical authority and we have a proper way to respond to biblical authority. Note, whether it's an employer, whether it's a teacher, we all have biblical authority. How do we respond? Is it right for um, a student to look at their teacher? You're stupid. You give me too much homework. Is that the proper way to respond? Not at all. So notice if you don't mind as it continues on. So in verse 18, it says that the servants, those that are under authority to their master, be subject to your master with fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Verse number 19. For this is thankworthy. Think of this. This is, worth, this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God. Again, it's all about God. I'm not submitting to authority because authority is good. I'm submitting to authority because God is good. He is the one I'm submitting to. But notice again. This is thankworthy for if a man conscious for God endured grief, suffering wrongfully. So biblical authority makes someone suffer because they're wrong. They have wrong information. They have wrong this. They have wrong intentions. They're cruel. The Bible says it's thankworthy for you to respond properly. It's a test. It's proof for you to see if your heart is right towards God. Let me tell you the biblical principle. If you are not right with biblical authority, you are not right with God. If children are not right with their parents, they are not right with God. If children are not right with teachers, they are not right with God. If wives are not right with their husband, they are not right with God. If an employee is not right with their employer, they are not right with God. If someone is not right with their pastor, they are not right with God. Because we can trust God no matter what the biblical authority is up to. Now again, people don't like this. They want every excuse to rebel. But now it goes to the example, verse number 20. What glory is it for when you buffeted for your faults? Meaning that it was your fault and you should take it patiently. You could learn a lot from someone from how they take rebuke. What is it if someone messed up? An employer said, you know what, you should have done that. And you say, you know what, I'm right. I mean, that's how someone should respond. There's nothing big in that. That's how you should respond. 
But if you didn't do it and the authority says, you're wrong, you shouldn't have done this. And you say, no, you're stupid, you don't have your facts right. And you fight back. That's what the problem is. That's where something should be different. Verse 20, for what glory is it when you are buffeted for your faults that you should take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable to God. Notice the word acceptable. (laughs) This is acceptable. It didn't say he was like, yay! He just said, no, this is acceptable. This is what you're supposed to do. This isn't where they're cheering up in heaven because you're suffering wrongfully. The martyrs aren't impressed. They're like, they're doing what they're supposed to do. It's not a big deal. That's how they're supposed to respond. This is acceptable unto God. But then we have the example of Christ. Jesus just didn't tell us what to do. He gave us the example first. Notice with me in the next verse, verse 21. For even hereunto ye were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye shall follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. So here's Jesus. We start off with a premise. Jesus didn't do wrong. Jesus did nothing wrong. So did Jesus deserve to die on the cross? No, because he did no crime. Did he even open his mouth and lie against somebody? No, he did not. So Jesus did nothing wrong, and yet he suffered for it. Verse number 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. Think about this. Jesus is nailed to the cross. He's been put on a legal trial, and people were at the trial hired to lie against him. When people, let's imagine that you're on, on, in the court... You're getting sued and someone goes up on the witness stand and says, let me tell you why they need to be sued. I saw them kick the cat and you didn't kick the cat, but they lie against you and they said, I saw it. Would you be sitting patiently in the, the, the defendant's chair or would you kind of be upset a little bit? Would you be ready to say, you liar? How are you going to respond to it? Jesus had people that were lying against him to put him to death. And he did not respond back to them. He did not revile back to them. He didn't say, nah, he was trusting God. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 23 again. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. Think about Jesus Christ on the cross. He's on the cross. Two thieves beside them. And the Bible says that both thieves railed against him. I thought he was the son of God. Come down. Save yourself and save us. And they make fun of him. Both thieves do. Finally, one thief, as he's getting closer to dying, says, you know what? Maybe this is the son of God. And after he got through making fun of Jesus on the cross for an hour while he's up there with him, turns around and says, Jesus... Will you remember me today? And Jesus said, you're going to join me in paradise. Jesus could have said, you know what? You just got through talking smack about me. Forget you. No. Couldn't he said that? Wouldn't that be how you would respond? Probably. When someone's yelling at you and then they turn around and said, will you forgive me? Kind of hard in the moment. But Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. He didn't. Take that. Verse again, verse number 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. 
Do you know that Jesus Christ had 10,000 angels at his beck and call? Let's do some math here. Back in the Old Testament day, in the, the Assyrians were surrounding the, the place of Samaria. And one night, they prayed, and you know what happened? Or they were surrounding the city of Jerusalem. Isaiah and King Hezekiah prayed. And in one night, one angel, how many angels? One angel killed 425,000 people. All right? So one angel in one night with no problem killed 425,000 people. Jesus had 10,000 angels waiting up in heaven saying, just give us the word and we'll come down. How many angels could 10,000 angels, how many people could 10,000 angels kill? If Jesus said, you know what, forget this, I'm tired of this, I'm, I'm leaving. They were ready to wipe out the population of the earth. At Jesus' command, they were waiting, waiting at his command. What is he going to do? Just say the word, we're ready to go. Do you know that Jesus could have very easily said, you know what, forget this. They're down there gambling for his clothes. They're mocking him. He's thirsty and you know what, instead of water they give him vinegar. They're torturing him. They're making fun of him. And yet he said, nope, I still love them. That's pretty amazing. Is that how you would respond? Natural man doesn't respond that way. But when someone's right with the Lord and depending on God and trusting in God, that's the example that Jesus Christ gave to us. Notice as we see the example of Jesus Christ continuing in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. Notice again in verse 23. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Isn't that what David did twice in that book? Uh, verse number 12 and verse number 15. David said, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God who judges you. I'm depending that God can take care of you better than I can take care of you. I'm depending upon God. Verse 24, who himself bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. For ye are as sheep going astray, but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of our souls. What we see here is that Jesus gave us the great example we could see in the life of David the practical living out of that example. Here is King Saul who wants to kill David. And David, in the midst of it, submitted to his biblical authority, trusting that God will take care of his authority. And it wasn't David's job to fix that authority. Again, this is unnatural. This is not how man responds. But this is how a Christian responds when they're trusting God. Now, again, we all have biblical authority. And we all have biblical authority that makes mistakes. How we are determined are we following God is when biblical authority says something we don't like. How do we respond? Do we respond by force? Or do we respond by faith? Do we feel like we got to fix them? Or can you trust God to do his work in someone's life. How we deal with biblical authority and submission. Is the determination. The test. The proof. Of who we are trusting. God. 
or ourselves. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.